Let's chew a piece of gum for just a minute. Sound good? Hmm? Do you know? Yeah, it's one of the one of the no-nos of public speaking and singing is you don't chew gum while you're talking. But I'm sorry if you approach me right now, you'd get this lukewarm coffee breath, and that's not a pro- that's not really appropriate either. That's all under. Oh yeah, well, cool. Well, I'll give it one more minute till people uh, come on in. When we start, I can take my gum out and stick it underneath my stand, and that way I can put it back in my mouth when we're done, right? She knows the start time. She gave us a thumbs up when uh, when we were talking about it. So, oh, Terry's here. We can start now. Right at right straight down nine thirty. All right. Good morning, everybody. I'm glad you're here this morning. Where's Sherry? Oh, okay, okay. Let's go ahead and uh, we'll open up in a word of prayer, and we'll get started in. In oh, Titus 2, yes. Before you start and before we get on this, tomorrow is his twenty birthday. So gotcha. Okay. All right. All right, Father, thank you for today, and I just praise you for your love, and I thank you for forgiveness, uh, Lord, that comes through repentance, and Lord, I thank you for giving your life so that we can have a relationship with you. Lord, I thank you for instructions for each one of us and for the church. And Lord, I pray that you would just help us to understand um, something more that you want to teach us today. Lord, I I pray that we are prepared when we leave here today, Lord, to be ministers of your gospel this week. And Lord, we know that you already have things in place um, for us to, to meet with people this week, so I pray that we are obedient to you in that. Father, help us to be uh, unified in love in our church. And Lord, I pray that, um, that we're in unity and following your word as well. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read through the whole chapter real quick, um, but I, I don't see that we'll get through the whole thing. But I think uh, between this week and probably the next two weeks, you'll begin to see how this all ties together. Uh, and we'll begin uh, Titus chapter 2. In verse 1, it says, You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way that they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children to be self-controlled and, and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show them, excuse me, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people, It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These, then, are the things that you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. 
Do not let anyone despise you. So starting in verse 1, um, the word you is very emphatic. Paul is, is stressing the importance of Titus as the leader uh, uh, of the churches. First of all, he's, he's in chapter 1, we know that he was there for a purpose to put leaders in place in the churches to appoint elders and to rebuke or to refute uh, false teachers, to stand opposed to them. So in other words, he's saying these elders are to be in a position um, and they, that this is their purpose, and, and it's to stand against anything that rises up against the gospel message that they already know and understand. And so there's no place for, um, for compromise uh, in, this, in this relationship. So Paul's giving an emphatic, uh, you, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. And this is a contrast of that which the false teachers of the Judaizers were doing. And Titus was to teach in the congregation what was in accord with sound doctrine. Well, if we go right back to one, when Paul left, he said, I'm leaving you here, and this is what you're going to do. And then so Paul's writing this letter to, to uh, re-support or, or kind of encourage Titus in this area. And he says, I left you in Crete. Um, I'm trying to find... Verse 5 in chapter 1, the reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So he's already been given the instruction. He already knows what he's supposed to do. So Paul is giving a letter of encouragement to Titus. And to me, this letter is already an example of what Titus is going to be doing with his elders as well. He's going to be pushing encouragement. Hey, stay the course. Give the gospel message clear and sound as it is, it is, as it has been given to you. So that kind of answers the question I had written down: How do we know what is in accord with sound doctrine? You know, um, is it in compliance or is it in agreement? Is the scripture? Uh, can we find in the scripture where this is stated? This is what we're supposed to be doing. This is what we're not supposed to be doing. Those types of things. And I go back to the the time. Uh, in Galatians 2, when Paul stands opposed, I think it's Galatians 2, but when Paul stands opposed to Peter, you know, when Peter is starting to kind of shrink back a little bit, and he's fearful of the Judaizers who have come uh, from Jerusalem and are teaching circumcision. So, um, that's a good thing. He's known Titus for a long time. Right, and Titus has traveled with him, right. 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 Um, but anyway, he, so he's giving that encouragement. You know, you, he's, he's reminding him of the, of the teaching that he has observed Paul doing. Uh, so then he goes into verse 2. Teach the older men to be temperate and worthy of respect, self-controlled and sound in faith and in love and endurance. So um, this, this study is going to be more of a word study. There's not too many cross-references that I'm going to give this week, but next week will be uh, I will giving, be giving more cross-references to the, the commands that he's giving here. Um, and and, and that will kind of tie it together. But uh, if we look at 1 Timothy 1, verses 8 through 11, just for a minute. It says, we know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for the lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy, the irreligious, and for those who kill their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders, liars, and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that confirms that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God which he has entrusted to me. So who gives the ordinances of the church or the directives for the church? Paul does, and he's stating that right here. And he's, he's taking the law, and he's saying that the law helps us to understand our need for the gospel message. 
Because I'm reading through this, and I'm going, oh, that one's not me, that one's not me. Liars and perjurers, ooh, I think I've done that. You know, um, so there's things in there that, that we can pick out, and we can say, okay, if, if we're guilty of one of those things, uh, Peter, I think it is, it says that if you offend the law in one point, you're guilty of the whole law. And so uh, when I read through that, Paul says, the glory of the blessed God, which he has entrusted to me. So Paul is giving the directives for the church. He's given the directives for Christian living for us today from the time of Pentecost forward, or from the time of Paul's conversion, I would say, I guess, forward. Um, he's, he's giving the directives for the church. So when we look at uh, verse 2 in Titus chapter 2, teach the older men. Uh, Titus is giving a directive to teach. He's not referring just to men who are older age-wise, but he's also saying the, even the most mature believers still need discipleship. Even the most mature believers are, are subject, they're still men, and they're still subject to um, temptation and falling. So teach them to be temperate. Uh, I had to look up what the word temperate means. And uh, the, the Greek word, which led me into a, a, a word study of all of these descriptions, the Greek word is nef, uh, nephalios, which means sober or not, I'm sorry, yes, sober and not influenced by wine uh, was specific to this particular passage. Um, so there is a, there's a soberness, but there's also, um, the word also was directed towards um, uh, moderate temper um, or, or um, I forget exactly how the word was used because I didn't put it down. I should have wrote it down. <laughs> But anyway, temperate means patient, um, and, and we, that's an area that I believe every single one of us is able to grow in, um, and I put myself at the top of that list. But if we look at, real quickly, 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2 as well, in verses 1 through 7, he says here, you know... Brothers and sisters, uh, I'll give you another second. I still hear pages. He says, you know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. Verse 2, we had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in, in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you, or anyone else, even though, as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. So being temperate, this is a, this is a picture of being, of being temperate uh, or, or uh, humble with other people in spreading the gospel. There was strong opposition, uh, but there was meekness with Paul as he shared the gospel. And meekness has been described power that is under control. Um, Paul uses the description that we could have used our authority to force you or to, to pressure you into uh, listening to the gospel message, but we didn't do that. We came to you in love. We came to you in meekness. We came to you with the gospel message, and we gave it to you saying this is absolute truth, and if you don't observe it, if you don't recognize it, if you don't surrender to Jesus Christ, and if you don't allow him to change you through repentance, then this is the end result, and he gives it to them directly. Um, so the question I put in here is, is oftentimes when, we're, when we are involved in sharing the gospel um, or involved in just serving, um, this question after it's been asked to me has really been resonating in my mind over the last weeks is, what's my motive for what I do? Why do I do the things that I do? Um, why do I uh, want people to come to Jesus Christ? 
And the, the, the next question is, is who do we serve? Um, that question has always been added in conjunction with the first question because I heard it asked this week, um, what's the danger in comparing ourselves with other people? And it was asked in a room full of about 20 people, I think, uh, and, and the room was silent. And the first thing that popped into my, my mind was, was Romans 3.21 through 24. And I'm going, do we believe the Bible's true? If Romans 3.23 is true, for all have sinned and fall short of God's glory, everybody has missed the mark of God's standard, why would I want to compare with some, myself with someone who has missed the mark? And I don't look at that to say, well, I shouldn't compare myself to Paul or I shouldn't have mentors in my life or anything like that. But when we, when we make the standard another sinner, then we take and we lower the standard that God has and we elevate other people and we create an atmosphere where I, where I feel good about myself. And we create a, a position where we go, okay, you know, compared to this guy or compared to that guy, I'm pretty good. All right, I'm going to stay right here. I'm all right. And, and there is no urgency to be discipled and to grow and to be more like Christ then. And so that's kind of taken away. So if we go back to Titus, and I'm going to just reiterate on chapter 1 and verse 3. Paul again states his, uh, his authority with the gospel message and the uh, directives of the church. And which he says, and which now, of course this is picking up mid-sentence, at his appointed season he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior. So Paul is the only one who gives these directives. Um, now in verse 2 of chapter 2, Paul begins to address several, several groups of people. Um, having people of all ages makes the church strong as a unit, um, but also brings the potential for problems. Um, and I think if anybody who's been in church for any length of time has been able to experience that or see that on some, le some level. So Paul gives instructions on how to help various groups of people, starting with the older men. Um, and we already touched on uh, teaching the older men to be temperate. Uh, he says, worthy of respect. Um, and I'm sorry if I butcher these Greek pronunciations, uh, but the Greek word is semnoos. And that word means honorable or grave or serious, uh, dignified. And this is where I fail. This is not clowns. I'm sorry. I like to clown around. I like to have fun. Um, but it's, it's basically meaning taking and handling um, the word of God in a serious fashion and making sure that it's of utmost importance uh, in our lives and how we carry ourselves. Um, I've got the word self-controlled underlined because I see just at a glimpse the word self-controlled is used like four different times in this chapter. So I think it's pretty important and it applies, the, the significance of it is it applies to every group that he's talking to. Um, so this element of self-controlled, even the Greek words are slightly different between each one. They have very similar basic meanings to them. Uh, the Greek word is sophronos, uh, meaning safe in mind, very similar to verses 5 and 6. Um, then he says sound in faith. The word sound, uh, I'm going to spell it for you because I don't know how to pronounce it. H-Y-G-I-A-I-N-O-N-T-A-S, uh, meaning to be uncorrupt. Um, sound in faith. Uh, pistie is that word there, belief, trust, confidence, and faithfulness. Um, and the word love here uh, is actually the Greek word agape that Jesus uses when he's talking to Peter. He says, do you agape me? Um, and I love the way it's described. It's a, in my dictionary, it says a love feast. It's okay, so every kind of love in any way, shape, or form that is appropriate to the person you're talking to must and should absolutely be exercised and given. So uh, then he says, in love and endurance. Uh, endurance is hypomene, and that means patient or waiting for. 
Uh, and, and there was one other word that I, that I never put together with endurance um, in, in the past, but it just it clicked for me when I read it, and it said cheerful endurance. I'm like, man, that word is so important to put cheerful in front of because there's times when we could be enduring things and be miserable and make the people around us miserable too. And there's times when, uh, you know, those kinds of things happen. So the word endurance in this context is do I, ever, I, do I ever have the right to not be cheerful no matter what my circumstances are? Be joyful always. Does that mean I can be unhappy? Okay, I can be unhappy, but I shouldn't put the burden of my unhappiness on others. That's, that's the key there. I can, I can be unhappy but I can still be cheerful and I can still be joyful towards other people. Um, I can still have struggles and, and pains and share those things with people without emphasizing the burden of making other people uh, uncomfortable or put them in a place of expectation of you make me feel better now. Um, and, and we like to do that. Hey, 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 I know there's a baby in the room. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Tracy mentioned to me, she goes, I may be distracted if the baby sits next to me. I said, then you need to move. <laughs> so anyway, you have, yeah, you, you have been good. And you'll find that no matter what our goodness is, the comparison is still Jesus. So, uh, <laughs> so I love the example that Jesus gives when the children all gather around him and the parents are going, will you pray for my children? Uh, and Jesus prays for the, for the kids. That's what we should be doing as well. So anyway, uh, um, sound in faith, in love, that's agape, and endurance, uh, again, cheerful endurance um, needs to go along with that. And then in verse 3, he says, likewise, teach older women to be reverent. The word likewise, uh, meaning the instruction is the same. Okay, uh, there's, there's no greater focus on the older men versus the women. The women need to be instructed as well. So in Titus 2, Titus 2 verse 3, um, likewise, teach the older women to be reverent. Uh, the, the Greek word for that is, um, I'm going to mess this one, hieropeus. H-I-E-R-O-P-R-E-P-E-I-S suitable to a sacred character okay so he's addressing the character of the women as well uh, he says not to be slanderers likewise the older women to be reverent in the way they live not to be slanderers uh, the word slanderers diabolos a transducer uh, one who attacks the reputation of another or a backbiter um, so, so that's the instruction given there addicted to much wine that uh, D-E-D-O-U-L-O-M-E-N-A-S, Dedolomianus. I had these pronunciations down when I was studying this, and now I just, I'm drawing a blank. Dedolomianus Poyo Ono, meaning, thank you. <laughs> well, I, I'm not sure that that's correct, but that's how I would interpret it in an English language, so... Yeah, yeah, thank you. Uh, I need to learn Greek. I, I really do. I mean, I need to learn the language. Yeah, yeah, she can hear me hitting the button on my, uh, my uh, Strong's concordance, uh, or Strong's uh, Greek language, and I hit the button on the computer, and it'll say it for me, and I'll repeat it, and it'll say it for me again. I'll repeat it again. I need to learn it. That's what I need to do. Um, but anyway, the words mean often influenced with wine or a, a use of wine for psychological relief from psychological stresses. Hey, pay attention. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, it's, it's, easy, it's easy to read this and say, well, much wine, that means I can have a little, right? That's not, that's not the point of the, the passage. When he says, with much wine, it says, don't go to wine often 
for the relief of stresses of the day. There are the options for your psychological, mental, emotional stress reliefs are in the Bible, and they may be difficult to, to implement in our lives, and we should never take advantage of alcohol as a shortcut. Actually, it's included in the word temperate for men as well. And, and Paul instructs Timothy the same way for men and leaders in the church as well. So it's, I think it's just worded differently for women, and I'll tell you why in just a minute. Um, but it says, teach what is good. Um, and that Greek word is kolodid eskolos, and that is a teacher of what is right in the eyes of God, or a teacher of what is noble. Now here's the hard question. Is anyone excluded from being a teacher, according to what we've read so far? Okay. So... And I don't say that to say, okay, now we're going to put all of you in teaching positions in the church. Uh, I want to make clear as well that the, the, the instructions that are being given are not in a classroom setting. The instructions that are being given are in a day-to-day, -day functional, working church. Day-to-day -day responsibilities. That doesn't mean that, that it doesn't cross over into the church, into a classroom setting. But what it does mean is that there, in the whole chapter of Titus chapter 2, there is no one in the body of believers that does not fit into the instructions. So Titus, Paul is telling Titus to make sure that in the body of believers, there's nothing less than 100% participation by everyone who calls himself believers. In other words, discipleship is the key to a healthy church. There is an importance to be connected to another believer outside the body throughout the week on a regular basis for a church to grow and function and to be righteous and to be holy all the time. So when we look at these passages, um, he says, teach what is good. Each of these for the women, he's talking about the older women. Um, we have some women that are older in here. Uh, and I'm not pointing anybody out. <laughs> but the reality is, but, you know, you know I've listened, I've, I've read this before. I can stand up now because I, I may need to run. <laughs> no, there we go. Jim will kick the door open for me if I need to get out. But the reality is, each one of these things are dangers that are easily fallen into when we have an empty nest. Okay, so uh, kudos to you moms that have been able to stay home and, and raise your children and not work outside the home or not have a lot of time away from home because of that. And I'm going to address that more here in just a minute as well because I had to repent of some things on the way to church this morning that God went, bam, you get it? <laughs> to me. Um, and so... The reality is, is, is when, the, when the home is empty, all of a sudden, for the woman, for the wife, and correct me if I'm wrong, there's, there's a searching for your purpose Amen. now. Okay? You're, you're, you've realized, okay, my kids are independent now. They're raised. They're out of the home. What do I do now? Have you ever been faced with that? <laughs> Judy's shaking her head. She's got it down. <laughs> But the question is, why do they face that? Because they used to pour everything they got into their children to leave their home. Right. And there's been no... And there's been no preparation from an older woman that says, okay, this is what you can expect in the future. Okay? There's nobody that's come alongside, and, we've, we, and we leave families hanging out of balance in that situation, and families go, and then they're going, oh my gosh, how come things are falling apart today? Okay? So, when we get into this, this particular arena, he's giving the instructions that you're in that right now, find somebody who's been there. Tina? You're probably going to be there pretty soon. Find somebody who's been there who is a godly person who will speak into your life and say, let me walk through this with you. 
The men are doing, need to do the same thing. <laughs> that tends, and you know what? That tends to be the response when we're faced with a spiritual struggle or trial. You know what? Let me just back up here where I'm comfortable, where I was, and I'm just going to kind of stay here. I'm just going to chill out here until everything smooths, o- smooths over. And what the problem is, is nothing ever smooths over. It continues to degrade. It continues to go downhill. So the whole chapter, and I would even say the whole book, but primarily chapter 2, is so focused on discipleship that we need to be influenced by our fellow believers. We need to teach each other. We need to help each other so that the message of the gospel goes on and on and on to our children, and our children follow in that path rather than the path that we're struggling through right now. And so... And I think the church, the universal church as a whole, has dropped the ball on this. Um, I think we struggle with this. So when we look at verse 4, he says, all the way through, all the way through, absolutely. And he gives, in this chapter, he gives instructions all the way through that from young, from the time that you begin uh, your Christian walk. So the time you die, there's instructions there to have somebody walking side by side with you. And, and that doesn't mean that I have the right to say, well, um, Jim don't have time for me today, so I guess I'm not going to do anything. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying you look for the places that you can serve someone else, that you can help someone else. Look for the places that you see someone else struggling and offer yourself. If it's rejected, then you go back and you pray about it. And say, Lord, is this where you want me to be? Is this, am I doing it the right way? Am I doing the right thing? And also allow somebody else to come alongside you. If somebody calls me up and says, hey, man, can I help you with this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I used to be proud enough that I would say, you know what? No, no, I got it. I'm good. I don't want you to know what I'm going through today. I don't want you to know about my, my weaknesses, my temptations. Um, now, because I want to please my Lord and Savior, I want people to know about my struggles so that I don't go there. What's that? <laughs> yeah. So, um, anyway, teach what is good. These are such real possibilities um, that are going on. Titus is, encour- is to encourage older women who are firm in their faith to reach outside their homes and teach younger women how to follow Christ and bring harmony into their homes. Um, in verse 4, this primarily pertains to women who are married as well as women who aspire to be a wife and a mother. Um, then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children. The word love uh, it says love their husbands and children, so I assume that word love was the same for both, but it's not. Um, the love for the husbands is philanderous. Um, in other words, teach them how to be affectionate towards their husbands. And phileokinos, uh, meaning fond of one's children. So uh, the word love there is interpreted from both of these Greek words to love in the English language, but there's, there are different kinds of love. The love for the husband is, a, is a, an emotional and affectionate attachment. Uh, the love for your children is a fondness and, and a desire to teach and to raise them up. One of the things I used to say to my wife years ago was, you're stuck with me forever. These kids, we're going to give them away someday. You know? <laughs> Um, and I didn't, I didn't say that to say, you know, don't get too attached. But what I did say is the relationship between you and I is more important than each of our individual relationships. Maybe that's not the right word to say, uh, how, to, how to word it. But if, if, the, if there's no foundation, if the foundation in our relationship is broken, then the foundation between our children's relationship with us is going to be broken too. Because there is a security, the children have security in the relationship of their parents when they're. Couples separate after they Right. Right, and I and I carry that right back to the church 
uh, as, as the body of believers, as individual Christians, that we don't invest enough in each other's lives. Um, so anyway, uh, self-control, same in mind, just like uh, we already mentioned. Uh, pure, the Greek word hagonos, proper, clean, innocent, modest, um, busy at home. Uh, the Greek word means good housekeeper or domestically inclined. Now, this is where things kind of get sticky in the day and age that we live in. Um, this is not a command that women in no circumstances should work outside the home if it's needed. Okay, he's not condemning that. However, um, it, this is to help us understand that the spiritual benefits which are often unseen until later in life, far outweigh the financial compensation of having two incomes. I didn't see that when I was a young parent. And the thing I had to repent of today, this morning with my wife on the way to church, was I looked at her and I said, we're in the financial situation that we're in now because of me. And I find myself getting frustrated when Things don't get paid or thing, we've had to forfeit different things because of the financial situation we're in. When our kids were at home, we often felt that we had to have two incomes. Well, the reason why we had to have two incomes is because we had to buy things or wanted to have things more than we wanted to invest in the spiritual growth of our children. Boom. That hit me right in the chest this morning. My wife spent a lot of time at home when our kids were growing up. But it get, came to a point, eventually, where I took a job that was less pay, and I was instructed by my spiritual leaders, your wife needs to go to work. And I went, okay, honey, I'm sorry, our kids are going to have to go to school. And you're going to have to go to work. And you know what the school taught our, taught our kids? Absolutely nothing about Jesus. So do I say homeschooling is the way to go? No, but what I am saying is if you are able to survive on one income in your home and the husband is able to go to work and supply for his family, the man should take care of the spiritual growth of his wife and his wife is able to invest in the spiritual growth of the children. I've heard in the last weeks, wow, so-and-so's kids, man, they're the model kids. <laughs> and I went... Because they have the model parents. <laughs> and that's the way, and I'm saying that to myself. I'm going, man, did you ever say anything like this or hear anything like this when you were a kid growing up? My parents have said this to me. Why can't you be more like the Johnson kids? They're, they're well-behaved. They're well-mannered. They're this, they're that. If I had known this back then, my smart aleck attitude, I would have went, because you're not like the Johnson parents. <laughs> You want me to be like the Johnson kids, man? They got fashionable clothes. They're, uh, they go on vacation. They do this. They do that. You know? Yeah. And, but that's the reality. I mean, I, I wanted the same thing. I wanted my, man, why can't, why can't I get my kids to behave? Why can't I get them to do this? Why can't I get them to do that? And all along, Jesus is going, why can't I get you to read your Bible? Why can't I get you to be faithful in church? Why can't I get you to give? Why can't I get you to, and so on and so on. That's not what Jesus does to us. But it's what he offers. He offers in his word instructions on how to raise a godly home and how to raise a godly family, how to be a good disciple in the church. Um, this particular passage is an instruction on learning stewardship as well as recognizing uh, that often the motive for having two incomes is, more, is a more comfortable lifestyle which robs our family of the valuable principles taught by experiential Christian living. And so again, I don't say that to condemn anybody who has a two-income home. I don't say that at all. But what he is instructing us is to, to urgently value the discipleship training that goes on within the church as well as the family unit as in, um, in this passage. What's that? Neither one of you are working right now. So what? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just teasing.
Yeah. You have to you have to ask yourself the motive because what I've what I've repented of today is my my motive with my finances okay has been governed by what my expenses are. I've allowed it to be governed uh, and the decisions to be made by what I owe everybody else. And the reason why I owe everybody else is because I did not handle my money in a godly fashion. And then I turn around and I put that responsibility, I put my wife, who writes all the bills, I kind of oversee it, and she keeps me posted on what's going on and this and that. Um, and we talk about those things. But she handles money better than I do. And so <clears throat> she writes the bills and she says, okay, this is what we did. This is, this is how I took care of things, you know. Um, and if there's a question, she always comes to me and says, what should I do in this situation? But I put her <coughs> in a situation, and I don't want to use, I don't like to use the word hopeless, but I put her in a situation where there was no way that she couldn't fail. Okay? So I put her in a situation where she should have never been in the first place. And that's, that's my failure. Um, and so we do that. We do that with the church. We do that with the body of believers. When we come to church, well, I serve today, and we go home, and you call somebody on Monday, hey, man, can I pray with you? About, I heard you talking about this or that or whatever. Can I pray with you? Can we study the Bible this week together? Well, I'm pretty busy. Um, <laughs> Larry's looking at me. He's going to go, uh-huh, you and me. <laughs> I'm pretty busy. Things are things are encroaching on my time this week and and i'm not sure if i'll have time for that um i've told other people and, and i'm not offended if they tell me i've told other people this before if you have to take sunday to do other things other than come together with the body of believers you're too busy the rest of the week <laughs> oh he has <laughs> we're gonna get to kindness in a minute <laughs> But it's a reality, and it's a reality that I've used to help other people, and there's a, there's a time and a place where I need to be reminded of the same thing. So when I've got Brian and Jim, all of the men that exercise, you know, that come on Saturday morning, that we, that we interact during the week, all of you guys are free to come to me and say, Dave, you need to be reminded of what you've taught us. I need that. I have to have that to stay on the path that God has put me on. Why? Exactly. It's not been taught. They haven't seen it happen in action for so long that it's become obsolete. Um, and it's believed to be ineffective because it's been gone for so long. So <laughs> it does. So in, to initiate it, in a place where it hasn't happened for so long, it's often extremely difficult to get the ball rolling. And it starts with you and Right. That's exactly how it got started for me. This guy right here started calling me. Hey, man, call me when you're on your way to work. Okay. Uh, well, I want to eat my breakfast on the way to work. Well, I want to pray with you on the way to work. Prayer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know? Was I resistant? I probably wasn't resistant right to you, but I'm, in my mind, I'm going, oh, Lord, you mean you want to change my schedule? You want to change what I do while I'm on my way to work listening to music? You know, I'm worshiping you. I'm praising you. And I get on the phone with Jim, and I get up the next morning, and I'm like, wow, I can't wait to hear what he's got to say today. <laughs> you know? Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, and, and I think any, any believer, any follower of Jesus Christ knows that that's what they want to do. But again, it goes back to if they don't see it in action, if it's not happening already and it's not expected, uh, if we don't see the expectation of God on our lives in this area, we, we never really naturally move into it um, without a, a swift hit with a two-by-four like you're talking about. Um, and that has to happen. So, in verse 6, uh, did I skip 5? Okay, in verse 5, to be self-controlled, again, is the same as, uh, as self-controlled in verse 2. 
and to be pure. Um, I lost my spot, sorry. The word for pure. Yes. Yeah, no, I did. I did talk about those. I talked about those. Okay, so right, right, going into uh, kind, uh, which is a primary word for the word good, for just for good. I mean, be good to people. Um, the Greek word is agathos. Excuse me, um, and then subject. The Greek word is hypotasamas. Hisotaso minas. Hisotaso minas. I'll tell you what I was thinking was hypnosis. Okay? Um, the word hypnosis, what is, what is being hypnotized? You're, you're, you're focused. You're, you're subordinate. Um, and that's what it means, a subordinate or obedience to. And, of course, this doesn't mean... Um, I say you do, but what it is is the channel of the gospel message coming through the man to the woman to the family. Again, it's a picture of what, what we know that Ephesians 6 talks about of how the gospel message comes to the family, and that's through the husband. And so the purpose is in this next line so that no one will malign the word of God. So the question is, is do we ever want that opportunity to be on our shoulders? No, I don't. If I want that to be on my shoulders, I better be leading my family in the right way. And that means when I blow it, I go to my wife and say, I let you down. And I let God down. That means when my wife blows it, she says, I need help. Help me. Show me what to do. Open up the scripture and tell me what God's word says. She goes to someone she's been taught to find a godly woman that she can confide in and go to that person and be comfortable sharing her weaknesses and failings with that person, knowing that that person will lead her into the scripture and lead her into prayer and repentance. <laughs> and the same is true for men. Men need to have that as well. So um, again, in verse 6, um, we'll just touch on verse 6 here, and then, we'll, and then we'll call it, we'll finish up. Similarly, uh, again, he's, he's expressing the need for teaching when he says similarly. Encourage the young men to be self-controlled. Uh, the encouragement, uh, parakleiai, is very similar to the, Holy, the word that's used for the Holy Spirit, parakletas. He says to call near or to invite or invoke. Um, so there's, there needs to be a constant invitation to any person, any man, young man or old. There needs to be a constant invitation that is open to walk closely with them. If that invitation, if that, if that door is ever closed, the church is in a dangerous place. And so we need to extend that to every believer that's in the church to be self-controlled. This one is slightly different, but similar. Sophroninin, sophroninin, to be of sound mind or to be sober-minded. Uh, the word that stuck out on this one is to be sane or moderate. And so the word, the definition, does anybody know the definition of insanity? Exactly. Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. So if the church is not working, if people are not growing, if, if there's still all kinds of uh, discord in the church, there's still all kinds of fighting and disagreements and things like that, why do we continue to do the same things over and over again and expect anything to change? <laughs> that's, that's a very good... <laughs> Uh, observation. It's pride. It is pride. And if that's the case, it's no longer a church. It's a, it's a gathering. It's a, it's a club. It's a, man, I feel good about what I did today. Um, and so um, finishing up with verse 7, he says, in everything set them an example by doing what is good. There needs to be good examples in front of every 
person. Uh, I, I say every person, even an unbeliever who is considering or is seeking after um, their purpose in the world, uh, they're seeking asking uh, after the four questions that we've heard mentioned in church builders. Uh, what's my purpose here? Where am I going? Um, uh, where did I come from? Origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. What? Tell me the difference between right and wrong. I had to repeat them in, in order so that I could remember them all. But anyway, um, every person at some point in their life, whether they will admit it or not, questions those four things in their mind at some point or another. And we need to be ready with the gospel message to help them understand what God's purpose is in our life and the relationship he wants to have with us. Thank you for your attention today. God bless you guys. Uh-huh.